What up, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend, Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey is the CEO of Onnit, a lifestyle brand based on a holistic health philosophy that he calls total human optimization. Aubrey currently hosts the very popular Aubrey Marcus podcast and is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. Over the next hour, Aubrey and I discuss dealing with adversity, He's had a very difficult past year, to say the least. And over the next hour, you're going to discover some of the tools that he uses to stay grounded, focused, and at peace. We chart new territory for the genius life by discussing the difficulties in maintaining romantic relationships, both monogamous ones and polyamorous ones. We discuss how to maintain an appreciative relationship with the now, to be present, and to avoid hedonic adaptation, or that feeling when the once wonderful becomes the routine. We discuss psychedelics and and altered states of consciousness, and why we need to reserve reverence and caution for the use of mind-altering substances. And finally, Aubrey shares his current workout routine and his nutritional philosophy, and also the tricks that he uses to optimize his sleep. So as you can tell, we cover a lot of ground, and this is one of my favorite episodes of The Genius Life. I'm excited as hell for you to listen to it. Now, before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Ned. Ned makes a line of very high quality CBD infused products. They just sent me their latest batch of their 1500 milligram tincture, which is just a full spectrum CBD with trace THC, which um, some people claim is uh, required to activate um, CBD. Dissolved in a medium of MCT oil. The taste is very mild, but you get that sort of slight cannabis flavor, which I actually appreciate. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not being flavored with artificial sweeteners and, and other um, potential contaminants. You basically are getting what you expect in the product. And while I think the science is still evolving in terms of the potential uh, utility for CBD, if you do plan on experimenting with it, you want to reach for the highest quality product that you can find. And where quality is concerned, Ned truly delivers. They've got a ton of social proof. Um, People that I look up to um, who are regular users of CBD uh, lavish Ned with praise. So if you want to check Ned out, all you got to do is go to helloned.com and use promo code genius and you'll get to save 15% off of your first order. If you're going to try CBD, don't go for the sugar laden gummies or the CBD infused sparkling waters, which which I'm now seeing uh, at my local health food store. Get the real deal, full potency, helloned.com, promo code genius, you'll get 15% off. Um, Telemax sent you. Now we're just seconds away from my chat with the one and only Aubrey Marcus. I'm pumped to get into it. But before we do, guys, please take a moment to spread the word about The Genius Life and help support the show. You can do that in a number of different ways. You can leave a rating and review for the show on iTunes. I read every review and I really appreciate when you take the time to write them. You can spread the word about The Genius Life by posting a screen grab on your Instagram stories. I would really appreciate that. And if I catch it, if you tag me in it, I promise I will reshare Um, your story on my Instagram. And you can also join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. By signing up for my newsletter, you guys are going to get instant access to a PDF supplement guide of 11 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function, along with my number one sleep hack. This is the one thing that I found that really helps my sleep. So you're going to get all that if you go to maxlugavir.com and join my newsletter. And, uh, you can opt out at any time. So leave that rating and review, spread the word about uh, The Genius Life, and join my newsletter. All of those things would be super appreciated. And without further ado, let's rock and roll with my man Aubrey Marcus, CEO and founder of Onnit, and intrepid host of the Aubrey Marcus podcast. We good. We good. 
Aubrey Marcus, thanks for being on the Genius Life, man. Yeah, man. Dude, My I pleasure. Lo- I love that we're now friends because I'm such a big fan of like you, your spirit, your energy, your show. And uh, so I feel like this is in, in many ways like, you know, it was a long time coming and I'm psyched to be doing it with you. So thanks for yeah, uh, likewise, man. taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I love about you is your deep commitment to, to personal development. It's new territory for me, mm-hmm. but I just love the topics that you cover, the spiritual journey, you know, the philosophy, everything. And I think that we're similar in the sense, at least at this point in time, where we've both experienced probably one of the hardest years of our lives. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, you know, my listeners are, are familiar with my story, but... I'd love for you to share yours and then some of the some of the some of the tools that you use to sort of overcome and and put into perspective, you know, the kinds of you know, challenges that you've had. Yeah, man, it it's interesting, you know, if I look back on the past year, there is a uh, you know, one thing that's pretty glaring and obvious and I tell people, let me tell you about the sixth hardest thing that happened to me last year. I got in a car wreck and I almost died, Jeez. you know, and right. And I say that somewhat facetiously, somewhat as a joke, but it's also kind of true. So inexplicably middle of the day, I was driving to do a podcast with uh, one of my favorite musicians, Nako. And I just, I've never blacked out, not even drinking, not doing anything ever in my life. Have I ever blacked out? I remember leaving the gate of my house. And then the next thing I remember is the sound of the jaws of life cutting open my car and then I woke up again in the hospital calling Whitney who is my girlfriend and my love my girl of seven years calling Whitney and and you know they asked me what you know who I should call and I said Whitney and what my phone unlock was in the because they had that in the emergency room and they just put her on speaker and I was like I'm so sorry I did something I don't know I'm in the hospital and like that moment you know I had a couple hundred stitches my face was completely split open my teeth are still dead I almost got my neck cut because the guardrail kind of cut through my car so there was that very glaring physical challenge which was difficult my nose got lifted off my face they had to like stitch it back down so uh that was that was an interesting event and episode in the year and ultimately really valuable on a couple different reasons i mean for one there's that immediate obvious because i couldn't smell i couldn't taste i couldn't kiss i couldn't talk right i couldn't do anything i couldn't work out and so you have this immense appreciation for some of the things you take for granted like breathing through your nose like tasting food like kissing your girl like some of that stuff that's just like yeah that's just what i fucking do in my normal day and i could be depressed in my day and just go through this and not even worry about that like you really start to appreciate that so that was the immediate thing but i think from a like a larger metaphysical perspective i was really struggling and working on some very challenging emotional things and i think you know while this may seem like a little it could could be just completely random i think in some ways i manifested this accident to give myself a break Hmm. you know like i was just so emotionally exhausted and so tired of kind of taking care of people and worrying and trying to manage things and that I just needed a fucking break. I needed a break where some other people would take care of me for a little while. And and really, it took me a long time. It was actually a podcast with Paul Check where he was talking about 
people manifesting disease states because of the same thing that they're used to caring for people they're always stressed and they manifest a disease state so that they can finally be cared for that they have an excuse to not do anything for anybody else anymore wow and like when he said that i was like oh maybe that's why i fucking randomly blacked out and got in this car accident because some some part of my being just knew that I needed a break and like needed to, it's like the universe, like put me on the bench. It's like, you've been in the game too long. You're making mistakes. You're, you're going to wear yourself out, you know? So that was an interesting part of it. But, you know, so to go and continue the story, the, the real emotional struggles that I was going through, I had a, I had a really challenging falling out with one of my very close friends and mentors. And I have I don't really talk about that and I'm not going to talk about that here, but that was really challenging. Um, but then on top of that, the, uh, what ended up happening was my open relationship, which I had with Whitney, who has been with, with for seven years, really escalated because she fell deeply in love with a new boyfriend. And we'd always kind of had other lovers and people who we would see, but it was always kind of chill. Nothing that ever kind of challenged the priority of our relationship. But she fell in love to the degree that our relationship as a priority really got challenged and actually overturned in which she was investing more time and energy into this other guy and attention into this other guy than she was investing into me, which was devastating like really, really devastating. And um, going through that and trying to be okay with that, pretending I was okay with that, not really being okay with that, and trying to figure out how to navigate that situation um, while staying together was incredibly, incredibly difficult. And um, ultimately we ended up splitting up and are on really good terms now and like consider actually have more genuine affinity affection and kind of respect and and love in some ways for each other than we ever have just because we've released the pressure and Mm. she's free to continue seeing this guy and doing whatever she wants to do and i'm free as well but in that kind of pressure cooker of trying to make this relationship work while she was also madly in love with somebody else was really really a, a, a difficult gauntlet that um I have the utmost respect for anybody else who's tried uh, open relationship because it will bring up all of your core insecurities, your needs for validations, these deep wounds. And, and so, yeah, I mean, those were, those were probably, you know, one through one through four of the, of the <laughs> toughest things that I had to go through last year. But, you know, all of it was just kind of working to um, create the pressure to form those little diamonds that I could carry with me uh, through the rest of my life. You were, you've always been kind of a big advocate for, for open relationships. Um, yeah. I don't know about that anymore, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask, I mean, how has your perspective changed? Because that's sort of like what everybody worries about right before making mm-hmm. that switch, you know, yeah. that the, one of the parties involved is going to meet somebody else because you allow for that to happen basically or you allow for the possibility of that to happen yeah i think it happens anyways and people but people just end up either cheating and then splitting up or they end up you know splitting up and then seeing that person and then being like oh shit why did we split up um it does happen anyways but this also this definitely does open the door for that possibility and i think for it to be successful, you have to be tracking your own emotions 
to with such impeccability that you really know when you're in that because any new relationship has this rush of energy they call it limerence in the uh, sexual biology field or new relationship energy it's where you're temporarily infatuated with the new it's that novelty carries this sparkly gem of excitement and if you if you're not tracking that you'll confuse that for oh my god i love this person so much i actually love him more than the person that i've been with seven years well maybe you don't maybe it's just new and maybe you're just excited and both partners have to be in radical awareness of that but because it was the first time that me and whitney ever went through that we didn't have that intelligence i was like how do you love him more than me <laughs> like what is going on and she's like i don't know I, I don't think i do but you know all of her attention and effort was there for that so that's the really challenging part i mean i think in the early stages it's hard to get over the sexual jealousy part but that is kind of a lot easier to wrap your head around it's like would you let your girl get a massage from a dude sure you know like most people should like of course like fucking get a massage it'll feel good would you let them massage their genitals and most guys are like fuck no not the genitals don't let don't let them you know massage something like that that feels good well that doesn't make much sense to me either like if you want to pleasure the shoulders or the the scalp or the feet or the genitals like go for it hmm. you know like that's fine and same with me you know like it's okay to like allow other people to interact and like enjoy and experience that sensual pleasure so that's challenge i'm not saying that's easy but i think it's easier to wrap your head around but when it gets to oh wow you know the love of my life is now falling in love with somebody else and i don't know if i'm okay with that like that's the part of open relationship that i think is virtually it's not impossible but it requires a level of uh, emotional insight awareness and impeccability that neither whitney and i were we were not up to that level to be able to withstand that and I think it's very difficult to get to that level. And I don't know if I would ever, even though I've already been through it and it would presumably be easier the next time because I could be like, yeah, I get it. You're, you're into him for a while. This will be six to nine months and go do your thing. And then, you know, that novelty will kind of wear off. I still don't know if I would ever want to enter in that situation. So the way that I would look at open relationship going forward is more of like a, a sexually free relationship but if things got that emotionally heavy where the priority of the relationship got challenged i think i'm kind of out hmm. you know like I, i'm not really that interested in these massive emotional you know upheavals of uh, that challenge the priority of the relationship and i think that's probably where you know i intend to to settle in is is definitely more freedom radical communication but let's not go falling in love with other people yeah. you know and and if we do let's let's chill let's let's take a break let's allow that to happen and then decide if we want to come back afterwards yeah i think i i mean i was i think i was listening to um a, one of your episodes with jason ellis which by the way yeah epic episode um, he's such a character. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about him beyond what, you know, what I experienced of him on your show, but he was saying, I think it was your show where he has like these built in, like sort of litmus tests that he uses to gauge whether or not, uh, you know, hooking up with somebody new, you know, cause he's in a committed 
relationship as well, mm-hmm. an open relationship, is going to be dangerous territory. Like I think he was suggesting that like if he's if he if he gets the feeling that he could be that too into somebody, then that's not the right person to bring into the bedroom. So there's always, I think he was saying something like there's always got to be this like, they've got to be just under you know, somebody who he might like be drawn to or something like that. Yeah. Except the, you know, when you find that person that's a little bit over, Ooh, it's hard (laughs) to throw on the brakes. It's hard to throw on the brakes. And that's again, the challenge of this whole thing is like, do you have the, the diligence and do you have the ability to say the discretion to be like, you know what? this is getting, this could be a little bit too much. I'm going to back off. Like that is, that is a really challenging thing. And I know, you know, continuing the conversation with Jason, those challenging moments come up and I can see those challenging moments come up for anybody in an open. Like, are you willing to fold that really exciting hand to stay with the one that you have? And I think you'd have to have a a commitment to your partner that's strong enough to, to be able to do that or a partnership that could withstand the temporary infatuation that comes with these new individuals. Wow. I, uh, I don't think I've ever had a relationship that could withstand that kind of pressure. The last, I mean, my, I've had a, I hadn't, well, I have an ex-girlfriend, but we, uh, the reason why she's my ex-girlfriend is that we would, you know, constantly get into arguments about, you know, the time she caught me looking at Mm. this other girl's butt or something like that, you know? (laughs) And I realized that, that, um, you know, that's just not the way, those, those aren't the kinds of arguments that I want to have in my yeah, life. That's the, I think that's the part that everybody needs to transcend. Like we all need to know that we're creatures, we're biological creatures, homo sapiens are biologically wired to look and be interested in a variety of different sexual partners. It's just anthropologically, you know, sexual biology, all of these imperatives that are built into our system are designed for us to be interested in that type of thing. So let's just get rid of this fictional Disney fantasy that as soon as I only have eyes for you and all these stupid pop songs, yeah, all right, maybe for the first six months, but you start to look at the science, like what Dr. Wednesday Martin put out in her book, Untrue, you start to look at the science, everybody gets bored after a certain certain amount of time. The sexual frequency drops, the sexual passion drops, and then you have all these people coming up with ideas like, you know, wear a wig, spice it up in the bedroom. I don't care if you put on a wig. It's not going to change. The, it's not going to change things. You can't trick a human that easily. <laughs> like, it's like if you wore a wig today, I'd be like, yo, Max, you got a wig on, bro. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be like, who, who are you? Wow. Interesting. You Novelty. Know? <laughs> Novelty. It's a new friend. Like, no, it's just you wearing a wig. Like, fine, go for it. Have fun. But, you know, I think that novel experience is kind of built in. Yeah, and it's also part of the human condition to adapt to, you know, it's it's difficult to maintain an appreciative relationship with something that's always around, right? The concept mm-hmm. of hedonic adaptation. Yep. How do you fight that? Two ways. So one is you don't fight it. You just continue to seek novelty. You continue to add, you know, different substances that can actually like enhance that, whether that's a psilocybin experience with your homies or like a, you know, MDMA experience with your partner. So these things that just blow the circuits and like open you up to this temporarily open you up to these Mm. novel experiences, or you have the variety of different partners. So that's one strategy is you don't fight it. And then the other strategy is one of a much more spiritual path of like deep presence and like deep presence and gratitude that 
locks you into the present moment so that you're not carrying the memories of the past with you mm. into that present moment. You're coming in fresh, just as pure loving awareness, as Ram Dass would say. Like, <clears throat> he has a mantra, I am loving awareness. And so if you're loving awareness, you're not carrying the personal history of everything that Ram Dass knows. You're not comparing it to the past. You're not using the past. You're just observing and looking at your lover, or looking at the experience that you're having and saying, wow, like it's the very first time you saw it. And that's something that you can train. Hmm. But it, that pretty much is enlightenment, right? Like that is the fucking nature of what all of these spiritual masters are talking about. And I've only seen it a couple of times actually played out. Like when I was hanging with Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote Mastery of Love and The Four Agreements, yeah. I watched him look at the sunset. We, were, where we spent five days in Punta Mita in Mexico. Wow. Sunset was the same every single day. It was beautiful. But he looked at that sunset every single day like, oh my God, that is the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. And it wasn't an act. You could feel it, just this kind of presence and rapture in the way that the sun was dipping into the water. And like he would have the house wine and he'd sip the wine and he'd be like, ah, oh, wine. <laughs> and he probably drank wine for 65 years or something like that, right? Like, But he had such an ability to be present every hug every sunset everything was like the first one he ever saw you know and that was because he trained himself to let go of his personal identity and history and preference and all of these different judgments from the past so i think you have two choices one you do a, you have a deep spiritual practice that allows you to refresh your senses and be incredibly present or you don't fight it or you just get you know get steamrolled by the hedonic adaptation, mm. you know, everything gets a little less fun for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you get caught in this feedback loop of constantly chasing the new and novel, which yep. can be exhausting. It can be exhausting, and there's usually diminishing returns on that, too. You know, like, even for me, when, you know, people are like, are you excited you're going to this new place? I've traveled all over the world. I've been very <laughs> blessed. You know, like, you excited you're going to see this place? I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's going to be a nice beach, I'm sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like somebody who's never been to a really nice beach. That's why I like going with people who've never experienced something. Because then you like, get to see it through their eyes. I think it's probably why parents like bringing their kids places, right? Because it's that, wow, Disneyland, amazing. Like I go to Disneyland, I'm like, yeah, it's fucking Disneyland. <laughs> you know, but the kid goes there and like, whoa. And I think that's, so you get to like experience their pleasure through their eyes. Um but that's just because of my, you know, spiritual paucity, like my inability to be radically present in that experience. I'm still carrying all my personal history with me in all of these other places and comparing it to all of the other places that I've been. Oh, it's like fucking St. Thomas or like, you know, Santorini or is it like this or like this or like this, like this, like this, you know, Kosamui. All of those memories then create the adaptation where it's no longer that novel and exciting. Yeah. Unless, you know, I add some kind of substance like cannabis or psilocybin or something like that. And then I can look out at a single leaf and be like, this is the prettiest leaf I've ever seen. <laughs> can you do it without a, without a substance? I mean, like, does, does maybe meditation help? or It all helps, I think. And I think you can. And I think it is possible. And I think you get a little bit closer, but it's incremental. Hmm. You know, I, I think the advantage of a substance is that, and I'm not, I'm not advocating people just go out willy nilly and take some mushrooms just to enjoy the day. Like that's, it's not 
I don't think that's the purpose, but I think it can show you what is possible and like show you the end goal. Like the end goal should be able to live with that same rapture and pleasure of a psilocybin experience, you know, every single day. Like I actually, <laughs> I talked to a, I talked to a NFL quarterback recently and he's won a Super Bowl and we were talking about psychedelics and, uh, and he goes, let me tell you something. I won a Super Bowl, but you know what's better than that? Just taking mushrooms on the beach. <laughs> I was like, you won a Super Bowl, man. Like that seems like that would be the best thing ever. And he's like, yeah, it was great, but no, mushrooms on the beach was better. And it's like that. So, but the reason is that he's, you know, he's been in that. He's he's won so many things and so many big games and been a football player his whole life. And so even that achieving that final goal wasn't the same as doing, you know, one of these entheogenic substances that can really blast open his senses and allow him to take in the real awe and beauty of life that's all around. So ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think it shows you what is possible where a single beach can be as good as a Super Bowl win. Like a single day at the beach can be as good as winning the Super Bowl. Like that is the invitation for all of us to follow like that spiritual path because it's not the substance that causes that. It's the substance that that makes us aware that that's possible. Yeah, can temporarily facilitate that. But I think that that state of consciousness is ultimately possible and is the reason for practicing spirituality. Hmm. It's practical. You know, it's not like do that to get a badge of honor. Like do that so you're that happy when you're in any beautiful place. I find that... Um just be connecting with my breath sometimes just taking a deep breath in whatever like new environment I am kind of mm-hmm. draws me into the present, um, in a powerful way. Yep. I've always, um, you know, my relationship with substances is complicated because THC, uh, really messes me up. Um, I'm cool with CBD, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, I've never had like a positive experience with, with THC. Maybe like a, if, if it's like a really small dose, I'm okay with it, but it's not, it's never like my preference to like, you know, to dose myself with THC. The funny thing about THC is it's, it's simultaneously the mildest and the hardest of all the psychedelics hmm. in the world. In my opinion, I've done a, you know, I've done a boga, which is a 24 to 36 hour, incredibly physically painful challenging journey Hmm. you know it's a it's a shrub that comes from gabon and it's one of they use it for heroin addicts and they use it for like these deep spiritual initiations and even them the masters sometimes only do it five times in their life because it's so it's so intense that's easier than taking an edible that's too much for you (laughs) really i'm telling you man like because in that in that experience of a bogey yeah it's uncomfortable but you have no choice but to surrender the problem with like taking too much THC, especially on an edible, is your anxiety will reach a level that's like unparalleled, you know, where you'll be just so anxious and freaked out and it's like almost impossible to surrender to it. It becomes really, really difficult, but you still have enough agency to kind of fight it. You know, like something like ayahuasca, iboga, it's like so strong and so clear it's like yeah go ahead fight it and you're like "Eh," and then you just get overwhelmed you know but thc you gotta you got enough room to kind of wiggle against it and struggle and resist Hmm. 
And it's like anything, you know, resistance is the suffering. You know, surrender is when it's not hard anymore. Hmm. So I think I think THC is, you know, in a mild dose, it can be the just a very relaxing thing that, you know, helps you laugh a little bit and enjoy your experience a little bit more. But on a little higher dose, it can be the most challenging of all the medicines, period. Oh, my God. Yeah. You've interviewed Michael Pollan, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I love his his sort of, uh, the you know, the how he reserves caution. You know, I mean, he obviously writes about all this stuff, but, um, you know, when the question of whether or not he thinks psilocybin, right, you know, which is his previous book is all about that and how it's being used clinically for certain thera- therapeutic applications, he doesn't, you know, he's not like, let's legalize this recreationally. He's like, let's continue to study it rigorously, you know, maybe have it, you know, push towards decriminalization, which I think is um, the move, you know, yeah. but as opposed to, you know, may, allowing it to become this like ubiquitous recreational thing. And, and we're seeing that now with THC where everybody's like gung ho about edible this and vape that, you know? And I just think it's like, it's, uh, it's just a little, I think we need to like reserve still a little bit of caution because of, of, you know, for all the things, yeah, for, for all, all the, things. the things, you know, and, and it's, it really doesn't matter what, what that is. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who's pretty comfortable in, you know, altered states of consciousness. You know, I've experimented with a lot of them, but every single one deserves some respect. And that could be tobacco, that could be alcohol, that could be these things that people think of as like, oh yeah, no big deal. Like, you know how many people die from alcohol every year? Hmm. Like an insane amount. Yeah. You know, and like watching people do hape, which is like a snorted form of tobacco. Hmm. Like I've seen people go through massive like three hour vomiting fits where they're just like completely destroyed. And then there's also issues with addiction. There's issues with everything, even caffeine, you know, like there's people who die from too much caffeine and out like there was those, uh, four loco, uh, like, uh, caffeinated alcohol beverages yeah. that were just offing mm. people. You know what I mean? Like, Everything that everything that chemically alters our consciousness, like let's have some respect. Why do you feel for you that the like the gravitational pull towards these plant medicines is so strong? I mean, what 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 about them makes you like interests you to the degree that you've experimented with so many of them, and it, it's it continues to be this you know this this thing yeah. in your life. Well, I'm kind of I always tilt my lance towards the scariest shadows that I can find in my Mm. psyche. And the psychedelics are really good at pointing those things out. I mean, from they really show you where you're afraid and help you go straight towards that thing and then release whatever fear that is. The same with open relationship. It's same. So that's one element of my personality. Like if there's something that I know is actually physically safe, like I'm not like a crazy wingsuit proximity flyer where I'm like really risking my life just for shits and giggles. But like if there's some fear that I think I can overcome or something that I can get beyond, I want to do that. So a fear of death, for example, like how much ayahuasca helped me with the fear with my fear of dying and all of these other different things. That's one element. The other element is my baseline level of contentment, happiness, fulfillment is not great. Not great. You know, I kind of go between um, depression and anxiety and you know if you look at the clinical research you show how effective these substances are in the alleviation of some of these 
conditions of like depression and anxiety and i think so that's been another draw another draw is that yeah i'm suffering you know and they have significantly helped and then i think the third part is the quest for knowledge you know i think it, they've shown me an unlocked different ways of thinking and different understandings of the soul of our you know infinite nature of consciousness itself that i wouldn't have been able to see if it weren't for them so it's like one part curiosity one part you know the banishment of and exploration and eventual banishment of fears and then the other part is the alleviation of suffering how do you know when it's time to like in your own life like what is that that sense that um tells you that it's time to do another plant medicine session or take another big risk is it when you when you find yourself getting too comfortable or like yeah. What is that feeling? I don't know. What is get what is too comfortable feel like? I don't know if I've ever, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever felt that, man. Really? To be honest, like I'm I'm not a I'm not the most comfortable guy. Like I'm very it's an interesting thing. You know, I think I have a a kind of a constant a constant engine that's inside me that's that's saying like okay, go. Okay, go. Go do some go do go do more something. Something needs to be done. It's it's rare that I'm comfortable just not pushing. You know, it's like my, I'm constantly doing a check like, all right, we good enough? We good enough? We sleep enough? We good enough? I mean, I'll recover. Like, I understand the importance of recovery. I'm not one of those maniacs that's going to overtrain and I'm not going to overdo something. But mm-hmm. as soon as I'm in a healthy enough state to do something, like, I do it. I, I just... And that's something I, I think I can take a look at and be like, why am I doing that? Am I doing that because I, I think that I'm only worthy of love based on the things that I perform and what I do? Probably. I think that's probably a, a deep pattern that I have. But I think it's also somewhat of my nature. Like if, if I'm, I'm just built for, I'm built for struggle to a certain degree. And so if I'm healthy enough and I, and I do this kind of systems check and I'm like, systems, how you doing? <laughs> And it's like, it's like the Iron Man suit, you know, and the Iron Man voice comes back like systems are good, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> then I'm like, all right, off to battle. What, what giants are we going to fight now? I love it. How do you use, um, you know, nutrition and exercise to support uh, your, your mental health and well-being? They're so linked, man. Yeah. They're so linked. Like you're going through something, you're going through something that's really challenging for you. Like, ask yourself, hey, are you tired? <laughs> you know, because if you're tired, that's going to be so much harder. You know, like one of the greatest shamans I've ever known, you know, one of the things he loves saying, he's like, energy levels matter. Like, you think you're going through this spiritual crisis? Well, how much have you slept? What's your diet been like? How have you been eating? Have you been working out? You know what I mean? Like, and this is something that I think we often overlook we think oh i got this big thing going i got this breakup it's so hard well maybe you're not eating during the breakup maybe you're not sleeping during the breakup but maybe you stopped going to your workout class so of course it's going to be even harder than it normally would because this is the body is the foundation and when the body is like strong and healthy and, and energetic then everything gets easier so one of the best things that we can do when we're going through something is just focus back on the basics like focus back on the body all right some cold therapy some hot therapy some breath some proper nutrition maybe do a fast maybe do some of these physical interventions that are gonna you know kind of get the body back in line 
Because to me, that's the, that's the rate limiting factor on everything that I accomplish. You know, and I don't, probably don't even pay it as much attention as I should because I can override it. You know, I can take a, have a little caffeine, kratom, you know, nicotine and, and plow through some task for the day when really my body's like, okay, yeah, you can do that, but it would be better if you, you know, went on a juice cleanse and then switched to keto for two weeks and, you know, spent some time out in nature. That would probably be better for you. And I'm like, I hear you, body, but we're off to war again. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's, that's something that I'm really paying more and more attention to because my body energy and, and that kind of natural vitality is absolutely the rate limiting factor, not only on what I get done, but also just my enjoyment of life. Hmm. What's your current uh, exercise like routine like these days? Are you like a big gym guy? Well, we have one of the dopest gyms in the world. I've seen it. You it know, is... the Onnit facility yeah. in Austin. So I, it's like a playground for me. I love going in there. So I am in there a lot. Um, it just depends. I'm really kind of intuitive with my training. I like to mix it up. You know, I know my body well enough and I enjoy training enough that I don't need a trainer or a regimen to, to do it. Sometimes it's just I'm swimming laps in my pool and that's good enough. Sometimes I'm running the hills. Sometimes I'm boxing. Sometimes I'm you know, dusting off the old bench press skills and, you know, going that, going that route, you know, oftentimes probably the steadiest diet of anything would be kettlebells, steel mace, some of the unconventional tools that we have and we're famous for it on it. Um, that's pretty much a three, four times a week type of thing. Even if I'm just doing 360 swings with the mace or some kettlebell swings and some windmills and things like that. Um, yoga is another one that I try and mix in as much as I can. We got some great yoga studios called Black Swan Yoga that are in Texas and spreading out. Hmm. Um, it's just really kind of mixing it up and not being, I'm not so regimented that I have to do the same thing all the time and I'm no longer competing for anything. So, you know, realizing that it doesn't matter. My variance, you know, I have like maybe a 10% variance of how good a shape I'm in. And it's fun when I'm on the bleeding edge of the best shape I can be and it's okay when I'm not, nobody can really tell the difference. I mean, kind of, sometimes they're like, you look really big or yeah, you look a little lean, but no, it doesn't matter. You know? So I just kind of do it more intuitively. Um, but I think a lot of people need, they, you know, they need that. I've, I've been working out since I was hard since I was like 12, you know, it's like 26 years of patterning where I've never not worked out. I've never stopped. Hmm. So it's like it's built in it's built into my system. Like I've never had a period where yeah, like yeah, I didn't really train for 3 months. Like I've gotten injured and then trained around those injuries, but I've never stopped. But I think for a lot of people who aren't used to that, um having some accountability, having a trainer, having a workout buddy or having like a regimen that's just part of your ethos is really important. But for me, I'm kind of more of a cowboy. I just go in there and, and do whatever feels right. What's your, uh, that's kind of how I, how I approach my workouts too. I used to have like a split and all that stuff, but now I just go to the gym. I just try to make sure that I get to, to the gym about, you know, four times a week. And, uh, and then I just go based on intuition. Yep. Um, I mean, I do try to, to steadily increase my volume mm -hmm. over time, you know, so that I'm, I'm like hitting certain, you know, milestones, but even those are not hard milestones. They're not like new, you know, weight, you know, lifts or, you know, hitting a new personal best. Yep. Um, it's really just about like, how can I push my body 
further today than I did maybe two days ago. Yep. Um, and then sometimes it's not like that. So it's just, you know, it's very fluid. Yeah. What's your current, uh, your current diet like? So I, I've been a little bit more on the fatigue side than I would like. I've felt like a little, like I was dragging a little bit. So I'm veering hard into a ketogenic diet, like Mm. a legitimate ketogenic diet. Um, and so when I do that, I think one of the key elements of doing that is supplementing with exogenous ketones as I make the transition from being glycolytic and having carbohydrates to being in actual ketosis. Um, cause otherwise you get that kind of lull where you're even more fatigued and I just don't have the patience to make it through that on my own. So, uh, you know, taking some exogenous ketones and kind of pivoting into that, um, into that diet style. I also have uh, issues with candida in my gut, hmm. which obviously feeds off of sugars primarily. And um, so it's kind of a multifaceted thing where obviously the ketogenic diet enhances mitochondrial health, which is going to support cellular energy, but it also combats candida overgrowth and imbalance in your gut, gut dysbiosis. So a bunch of probiotics and then limiting the sugar intake starts to turn you know the balance back in my gut and and one of the problems with candida like you know which is something that i think people often overlook i mean obviously if you get a if you're a girl and you get a yeast infection or if you're a baby and you have thrush or somebody has thrush in their tongue like then you get a clear sign that you have yeast somewhere that you're paying attention but yeast in the gut it's hard to know but one of the byproducts of candida albicans in the gut is the compound acetaldehyde and acetaldehyde is the same toxic compound that you feel when you've been drinking all day and you're hung over the next day so it's like you have a constant little brewery like a little brewery of the of a hangover in your gut wow. at all times producing acetaldehyde which is going to make you feel a little bit hungover every day so like really trying to deal with that and you can get all kinds of poop tests done that um, are kind of funny to do because you have to poop in something and then like scoop and poop and then send it. <laughs> and s- sending poop in the mail is also a very odd thing to do. Strange. But then you can get results and see, and that's what I did. And, and it was really on the high side and it makes makes a lot of sense. And it's difficult. You know, there's different things you can do to combat it, but really trying to bring that back in balance, um, you know, with good probiotics. Like we have a probiotic in our total gut health on it called Saccharomyces boulardii, which is actually a yeast-based probiotic. And that's, um, that helps combat some of the, some of the different challenges that you might get with, uh, pathogenic bacteria and different things. They use it a lot for travelers, diarrhea and different things. So there's different targeted probiotics that can be helpful in like kind of turning the gut balance in the right way. And then, you know, really cutting back on and limiting the yeast. So stuff like grapefruit seed oil, um, powder arco, um, monolaurin, which comes from coconut oil, which is another great one. And, and some of these different natural compounds that can help turn your gut into a more favorable state so you're not walking around with a constant mild hangover. Wow. Would you, would those, uh, would that sensation increase with more sugar for you? Totally. Wow. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it feeds off sugar and any kind of chemical. And so the yeast does serve a purpose. And one of the purposes of these, you know, 
yeast organisms is that they hold on to a lot of the toxins that we're actually putting into our body. They feed off sugars, but they also hold on to things like heavy metals. They hold on to things like, you know, if you're eating a bunch of chemicals or you're on a bunch of pharmaceuticals or you're doing something like that, they'll actually grab those out of your system so that they don't go into your bloodstream and they'll kind of hold on to them. They're, so they have a purpose of kind of limiting the amount of crap that you have in your body. And the more crap you put in your body, the more of those develop. So it is this, it is in some ways, they're not just totally an enemy. They do have a symbiotic relationship, but ultimately it comes at a cost. And so eventually cleansing those out. And then as you're cleansing them, you might feel a little bit worse as you're releasing some of these toxic compounds that these things have been holding on to. And then so making sure that you're doing things like taking charcoal or bentonite clay or like flushing the system out. And they actually have some interesting, they're not full double blind scientific studies, but showing that things like even peanut butter, oddly, and strawberries were actually good at like soaking up some of the heavy metals that are being mm. released from the death of these candida. Um, and then there's also pharmaceutical interventions for candida like diflucan. Um, I think there's one that's like, uh, keto flucan or something that's really strong, but those are kind of hard on the liver. And, but for some people, they may be a temporary intervention as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think paying attention to gut health is something that's really, really important. I think as we look forward to the future of medicine, it's going to be guts and mitochondria. You know, like those are the things that everybody's going to be paying attention to. How do you have strong mitochondria? That's so closely linked to, you know, different cancers and different, all kinds of different metabolic disease. And then gut health, so closely linked to all kinds of psychological and psychiatric conditions. So if we're covering all of the metabolic and all of the kind of deleterious cancer conditions by having healthy mitochondria and dealing with you know, a lot of the psychiatric conditions because so much of our neurotransmitter substrate is produced in the gut and then the other basic immune conditions. I think that's really where natural medicine is, is going to focus and going to pivot to. Yeah, it's the root cause, man. It's it. You guys I might, li- might uh, have listened to episode 67 of my show where I had a, a really uh, intelligent physician, Molly Maloof, talking about how to boost mitochondrial health. We talk a little bit about fasting. Mm. Do you do you do that? Do you uh, practice IF I feel or great. TRF? I feel great when I do it, but I don't do it as much as I uh, as much as I should. And I tend to do when I do it. I tend to do um, like one day. I'll do like it used to be like one day out of every week or two. Now it's more like one day out of every month, um, and I'll feel great the next day. Just a full fast, full, a full water full, fast. Yeah, full day of fast. I add salt to that because I feel like without salt, my adrenals get a little, um, get a little like hyperactivated. So salt kind of allows me to calm, calm down a little bit. So just salt and water, Hmm. salt and water, salt and water. And, you know, sometimes I'll allow myself like a, like a sugar free green juice with just like spinach and celery and something like that. And that doesn't seem to affect me metabolically on the fast either. Just basically provide some minerals, but salt and water for a, for a full day. Um, so which ends up being a 36 hour fast cause then I'll eat in the morning tends to be what produces the best result for me. Hmm. Uh, I've done like restricted feeding windows and that's mildly helpful, but doesn't seem to be too compelling for me, hmm. you know, but, um, it's really the full day fast that I think gives my body truly enough time to like have a reset 
and really drop inflammation levels low and start to kickstart that, you know, mitochondrial support. Hmm. Are you big on, you don't, you don't strike me as being big on like the quantified self movement. You're more intuitive, but I mean, do you do a lot of like, you know, self quantification, blood work, things like that? Like what's your... A decent amount with sleep. Every night I sleep with the aura ring. Hmm. So that's something I check kind of first thing when I wake up. Like how did I sleep? What was my REM? What was my deep? How many wake-ups did I have? What was my total sleep? Because then I'll judge like how necessary it's going to be for me to have a nap. You know, so like it'll help me adjust my schedule. So if I know if I get, you know, it's a score out of 100 I think the highest score, I've, I'm not a great sleeper, the highest score I've ever got was a 90, and that was like a banner day. Hmm. You know, usually a, if I can get above 80, I'm golden. You know, I know I can go all day and I'm good. If I'm in the 70s, I'd like to try and carve out a at least a 30-minute period where I can put on the binaural beats and kind of drop my brainwave frequency. And if I'm in the 60s, I'm, I'll cancel a meeting or something to make wow. sure that I get that done because otherwise I'm actually really borrowing from on credit from my body you know if i'm in the 60s sleep is so important and it's it's difficult to know because some nights you think i think i slept all right and other nights you know it it's good to have that when you're a little bit blind and a little bit sleepy i don't use it for activity tracking like i know how active i was in the day i was awake you know (laughs) i was there but i use it for sleep Hmm. and then blood work um my blood work is so consistent that I I check it every now and then, but it's not that, you know, I'll check my liver liver enzymes. I'll check some other different things, white blood cell count, and just make sure everything's in the range, my hormone levels, make sure all that's kind of in the range that I want it to be. Um, But I'm not like really looking at certain markers or testing telomeres or doing those kinds of things that much. Yeah. Any, uh, any good sleep hacks? You know, you mentioned that your that your sleep is not great. Anything that that you found to be effective in terms of you know, in boosting your sleep? Yeah. You know, I think um, some of the things that are not good for sleep is drinking before bed. Hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, you can look at your you can look at your resting heart rate when you've been drinking, and your resting heart rate is going to be twenty, thirty beats higher. Oof. You know, and then what's and then eventually as you go thin, you're going to be thirsty. So you're going to wake up more. And then as that GABA, which is, you know, alcohol is a GABA agonist. So it's going to give you more GABA. So you actually might fall asleep pretty easily. But as the body compensates, you know, from that, it's going to create what's called the glutamate rebound, which is going to be hyper stimulating. And so it's going to wake you up even earlier. So being really mindful that knowing that if you have alcohol, you're going to sleep like shit. Hmm. You know, like that's just the, that's the thing that you have to deal with. And so that's probably if I, that's why I I prefer now, if I'm going to drink, I'll try to drink a little bit earlier, you know, like drink before dinner. Yeah. And then as soon as I start getting dinner in me, then it's just water the rest of the night. Cause then it has time to actually go through the whole loop. And then by the time I go to bed, I'm pretty much sober, you know, and also drinking on less, drinking on less food is going to give you a bigger buzz with less alcohol too. So like that pre-dinner cocktail is, is probably my preferred thing. Or if, you know, or I'll just not eat at all. Like if I really want an alcohol buzz, then just don't eat. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I do and and advocate. It's sort of, it again, it goes against conventional wisdom, you know, but like, you know, conventional wisdom is to 
drink with food in your stomach, right? But I think that's probably the worst. It's the worst because the then, then it requires that you drink more. I think this is for people who want to drink a certain amount and mitigate how drunk they get. Yeah. You know, it's not like people who are like actually drinking exactly the amount they want to get the feeling they want. You know, these are that's that's the real amateur approach. Like, well, have some food in your stomach so yeah. you don't end up puking on the bathroom floor, you know? <laughs> Darlene, you know, if you don't eat, you're going to be I'm going to be holding your hair soon over the toilet, you know, <laughs> like that. That's that mentality, but really right. if you want to take this seriously and enjoy the alcohol buzz or any buzz, then don't eat. You know, you don't need to eat. So that's, I think, that's one of the really smart things to do. Obviously, the other things everybody talks about, you know, the minerals, the, you know, turning the lights off, the, you know, making sure that your circadian rhythm and the melatonin and leaving the bedroom just for just for the sleep and blacking out the curtains. I mean, all these things help. But I think for me, it's about, um, it's really about making sure that those nights that could be really rough you know i really mitigate those because those are the ones that really knock me out hmm. the ones where i've been drinking till 2 a.m and then you know i uber home and then i've pound a couple salty snacks like some paleo puffs or <laughs> some some you know microwave amy's you know mac kale mac and cheese or something <laughs> and then just pass out in bed or even worse i'll get like a p terry's burger on my way home or something and then like drunk and full and like and then i know that my sleep is just going to be a wreck and then my next day is going to be a wreck and then i'm in a deficit that i'm going to have to climb out of for the next few days so that to me i think is the most important thing to avoid and it's not about being you know puritanical it's just about being clinical with how and like surgical with how you're benefiting from your buzz without taking away from something that's really vital which is your sleep yeah thousand percent well we're almost out of time i've got uh one last question to ask you but before we get to that how can my amazing listeners connect with you over social media what's the latest project you're promoting yada yada yeah aubrey marcus podcast is great you know definitely uh tune into that subscribe to that check it out we got some great guests i was on it recently we had a great amazing chat fucking awesome so check that one out too a lot of different topics that we talked about today too so good compliment um instagram's probably my most active profile at aubrey marcus twitter is pretty active as well uh same thing at aubrey marcus and i put out some videos and different stuff and if you guys follow that you'll see the different projects and things i have a mastermind that i run called fit for service that opens up quarterly for new applicants but that's pretty full um and then on it o-n-n-i-t you know, all of the best supplements and fitness equipment that we could create. So uh, definitely check that out as well. Yeah, yeah. And you got this amazing book, On the Day on Your Life. On the Day on Your Life, exactly. It takes you through the entire day and um, puts together the most optimized mental and physical practices that I could come up with to help, uh, help you have the best damn day you can and then repeat it. And it's one of those things where, like, it's not just about the most productive day or not about the healthiest day. It's about like the best day. That means enjoying it too. So, so it really balances in things like I was talking about earlier, like when's the best time to have a glass of wine? You know, when's the best time to have sex? Like when's the best time to enjoy, you know, the connections that you have with people and how do you, how do you create the space for that? So it's kind of an innovative book in that way. Cause it's not just focused on health it's a very holistic approach to the best day possible and then if you can do one day well shit then you can 
do 100 days. Yeah, I love it. We got the same publisher. I know, Karen. Yeah, yeah. She's the best. She's the best. She's the best. Hi, Karen, if you're listening. Um, all right, so the last question that gets asked to everybody on the show, I'm super psyched to hear your answer. What does it mean to you, uh, Aubrey, to live a genius life? What does living a genius life mean to you? Oh, man. You know, I realize that I'm, every day, I am simply tomorrow's idiot. You know, like the person of tomorrow is going to look back at the me of today and be like, wow, what a cute kid. (laughs) He was trying so hard, (laughs) you know? So I think the, for me to be a genius is to not delude myself. It's to not kid myself. It's to not pretend. It's to not allow my own rationalizations and my own egoic projections to actually convince me of anything that isn't true. To be genius is to just acknowledge what is true, what is true within myself. And I've realized how little, how sneaky and slippery I am. I can rationalize so many things, you know, even to myself. But if I'm, if I'm being genius, then I'm calling myself on my own shit. You know, I'm calling me out on my own bullshit and being like, nope, that's not really accurate. You know, and and there's a humility that comes with that. A humility of like, here's where I am now and I'll be better tomorrow. So true. Man, you mentioned uh, the four agreements earlier and you know, Mm -hmm. one of those agreements, which I love, is to be impeccable with your word and I think that that also applies to the words that you use to talk to yourself, right? Self-deception, it's like the ultimate way of, of masking our problems. Yep. It is. And we all, we all do it. We all do it. So, so tracking it and and having the forgiveness to like not be so hard on yourself when you realize like, Oh, I was really kidding myself. There wasn't, I, you know, like I was really telling myself one thing when really this is, this was the, the thing that I was feeding, you know? And so, yeah, having that, uh, having that forgiveness and that kind of ruthless self-love where you love yourself you know, from that long-term perspective enough that you're willing to live with your radical truth. Boom. I love it. Brilliant. Uh, well, Aubrey, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much for, uh, likewise, my brother for being here, man. This was fun. And, um, you're invited back anytime. So whenever you, you know, you know, you're back in LA or I'm in Austin, we'll get together. No doubt. To all you guys out there listening in podcast land, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. Highlight your favorite quote from Aubrey or I tag Aubrey, tag myself, spread the word about what we're doing here at The Genius Life, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Light up.